Let us pray. Father, we believe all Holy Scripture is written for our learning. And so we pray now by your Holy Spirit that we would so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your Holy Word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. It is a terrible thing to live in the dark. It's a terrible thing to be lost, confused, regularly getting things wrong. But you know what's more terrible than living in the dark? Than more terrible than being lost and confused and getting things wrong is not knowing that you're living in the dark. Not knowing that you're lost, not knowing that you're confused, not knowing you're getting things wrong. And yet so often we live in the dark. Summer of 1998. In August, I was uh, doing a production of Robin Hood the Musical, probably the most inglorious, uh, most inglorious thing I ever performed, uh, but it paid well. And I was on this company for the whole summer, and in August, uh, one day I said, hey, before the afternoon matinee, I'd like to get the whole cast together just for a few minutes before the matinee. And I got hauled into the artistic director's office that, sm- that morning, a friend of mine, and he pointed across his desk and said, you'll never work in this town again. And I said, what? And he said, you'll never work in this town again. You're calling a cast meeting to meet with a cast before the show. And I said, What is going on? I said, I call it cast meeting because Monica and I got engaged last night and I wanted to let all my friends know. And he said, oh, I was sure you were calling a cast meeting because you were quitting the production. Now, this was a friend of mine. He was furious and he had completely, completely got it wrong. I know that's never happened to you before when you've totally got it wrong. But it's a terrible thing in those moments when we realize I've been living in the dark. I've been confused. I've been lost. I've been totally getting things wrong. And yet, friends, we so often as human beings find ourselves in our natural habitat living in darkness. We don't know what we don't know. Jesus here in John 8, verse 12, says these words, I am the light. Oh, there's some music for my sermon today. You know, you sort of get, that's normally the end of the sermon, right? In some settings, as I'm wrapping up, the music, the band comes up and starts playing. Um, I have no idea where I am now, no. Um, And neither do you. But John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. To a world full of darkness, to a world so lost, so confused, so often getting it wrong, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, what 
Jesus is declaring here is the incredible good news of the gospel in one verse. We keep seeing this again and again as we walk through these I am statements here in this series on the I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel. Last week, I am the bread of life. This week, I am the light of the world. Jesus is able to contain the entire declaration of the gospel, it seems, in one verse. Because in this one verse, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Jesus is saying this, that Jesus, who is the light, seeks out those who live in darkness. I mean, I could probably preach that same sermon for the next 10 years alone, that one point. Jesus, who's the light, seeks out those who live in darkness. But not only that, he seeks us out. Don't worry, I'll have three points today. He does it so we can see. He seeks us out in the dark so that we can begin to see. But even more, not just so that we can see, but so that we can shine. Shine with his light into a dark world. See, first we have to recognize that Jesus, who claims he is the light, goes and seeks out those who live in darkness. Verse 12, I am the light of the world. Notice he says, I am the light. He doesn't say I'm a light, one of many. Singular, I am the sole light of the world. And when he says light of the world, the world here is cosmos. It's the whole of creation, everything, nothing that has been created, whether seen or unseen, does not fall under this reality that he is the sole light, the sole source of illumination of everything that exists. And then he goes on further to say the light of life. And as we saw last week, life here is not just biological life, but zoe life, full life, complete life, eternal life. It's not just quantitative physical life. It's qualitative real life. Jesus is saying nothing less than the fact that I am the sole source of light and illumination for every bit of creation if you want to actually find what real life is. And it's an audacious claim. As we see all the way through Jesus' statements here in John's gospel, Jesus, as I said last week, is humble but never modest. He's willing to say it right up front. This is who I am. To put it in the negative, here's how Luther describes what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, wherever I am not, there is only darkness. Wherever I am extinguished, you don't see anything. That's extremely exclusive, isn't it? I'm it. I'm the one. And you know what's fascinating, friends? As our world gets more secularized, as we seemingly as a culture move further and further away from the gospel, here's what we're finding. Even the atheists are beginning to agree with Jesus about this. Even the atheists today are beginning to agree that maybe Jesus is, in fact, the light of the world. Don't believe me? Listen to these words from Tom Holland. No, not Spider-Man, the British historian Tom Holland. Tom Holland, the British historian, in a recent book, brilliant secular humanist. This man does not believe in Jesus as his Lord and Savior, but listen to what he says. He says, our moral compass in the West, our sense of good comes from Christianity, whether we realize it or not. He says, our moral compass in the West, our sense of good 
comes from Christianity, whether we realize it or not. Or try on these words from another atheist, John Mortimer, the actor who used to play Rumpole in the British series. He wrote this in an article. An atheist is writing these words. I need to emphasize this. He says, seeing the impact on society of a generation that has rejected God and as a result, Christian ethics, what is beyond a doubt, he says, is that the gospels provide a system of ethics to which we must return if we are to avoid social disaster. And the article in the newspaper written by this atheist was titled, even the unbelievers should go back to church. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And even those who don't believe are beginning to say, maybe he really is. Look at what happens when we move away from his teaching. You know, it's interesting that we've never lived in an era as human beings where we have so much data at our fingerprints you know, just at our fingertips. I mean, so much data and yet so little discernment. As a, as a society, we say we live in the age of information and yet we can't make basic decisions, it seems. Is it an age of information or an age of informed idiocy? We live in a dark world. And so here's the amazing truth is that God doesn't look down on us and say, well, there they are living in darkness. No, the gospel says that Jesus, who is the light, seeks us in the darkness. He comes to us in the midst of our confusion and our lostness. I mean, those words at Christmas time from Isaiah 1 9, they resonate something deeply within our marrow when we hear a people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. On them, light has dawned. God enters into the darkness to seek us out. And He must be the one that seeks us out because we don't even know we're lost before He arrives. I mean, don't you love John Newton? The slave trader turned priest and hymn writer who when he writes Amazing Grace you get the sense that he's not just saying he's now seeing but he's acknowledging he didn't know he was blind I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see we don't know we're lost until the light comes and seeks us out. But when Jesus, who is the light, seeks us out in the darkness, he does it to help us learn to see so that we can actually start seeing. We who've been in the dark suddenly can see. But there's two parts of what it means to learn to see. Though it's probably 15 parts, but for your sake today, just two. Two parts of what it means to see. Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So there is an ability to no longer walk in darkness. We can walk in the light, but there's two aspects of Jesus, the light entering in. One is as the light comes, he is going to reveal something to us. This is the hard part. And then he's going to redirect us. 
the entrance of Jesus as the light into our dark lives will reveal something and will redirect us. The revelation part is hard because as he comes in, not only do we go, wow, now I can see how dark everything is, but I can see just how dark, wow, I've been. I can see just how much darkness has taken a hold of me. I didn't know how broken and how wicked I was until God's light began to break in. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to live like that. Wow, I really am broken. I mean, there's a story of a cathedral that was being painted. Its ceiling had to get painted. You know, these big cathedrals, right? Where you've got these, these cherry pickers up there trying to paint all the corners and make it perfect. And, and, and I mean, it takes a lot of work and it's a very expensive project. And so at the end of the project, before the cathedral made its final pavement to the painters, there was an inspection. Let's check and see how the paint job looks. Well, the wardens of the church and the rest got in there and they were looking around and one of them had a brilliant idea. They grabbed a spotlight, they plugged it in and they started shining the spotlight in all the different corners and they started to see little imperfections. They said, oh, look, and they marked them down. And so when the official from the painting corporation showed up to do the final inspection and get his check, they said, well, let us show you a few imperfections. And they started pointing the spotlight at all these places after about three or four of these indiscretions being pointed out. Do you know what the sales executive did he walked over to the spotlight and unplugged it and said our paint job cannot stand up under that kind of scrutiny he said we painted for the naked eye not for a bright blinding spotlight and how much is it not the same for us we cannot stand under the scrutiny of his blinding beautiful light He shines into our darkness. And if we for a moment had said, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm okay. At least I'm like that Pharisee. I'm better than this this tax collector over here. You know, I'm doing pretty well. Suddenly the blinding light of Christ comes in and we realize we can't stand in it. You know, we we experience this to a certain degree already today. When in our regular day-to-day lives, if you're ever in the presence of someone absolutely brilliant, you kind of feel a bit stupid, don't you? Right? When you're standing in the presence of someone who's just gorgeously beautiful, you feel somewhat ugly. When you are in the presence of someone with real power, you can often feel rather weak and insignificant. And when you're in the presence of someone who seems truly good, you feel kind of like a fraud. Standing in the presence of Jesus, his light penetrating into our lives, Suddenly the words of Habakkuk chapter one, verse three, where God, whose eyes are too pure to look on evil, looks upon us, we are undone. See, the gospel is hard news before it's good news. The first bit of the light coming in is gonna reveal just how bad the situation is in our lives, just how much we are desperately in need of redirection and correction. You understand why St. Peter, when he met Jesus in that boat in Luke chapter five, verse eight, after Jesus said, done his fishing miracle before them. What is Peter's response? He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In the presence of Jesus, he says, I cannot stand. And that's how it feels at first when the light comes in, but it is corrective. It is curative because it's not just coming to reveal the darkness within us, but redirect us from it to give us new life, to offer us a new way. That's why Jesus says here, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. It's an invitation. You've been walking in darkness. Now follow me and start walking in the light. Let me redirect your life. 
It's the language of discipleship. It's the language of saying, come be my student. Come be my learner. Come learn my life. Apprentice with me. The words of Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Or for our purposes today, come to me all who feel completely lost in the dark. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. Learn to live my life. This is the invitation he's giving us, not just this revelation of how much darkness is within us, but a redirection that says, and now come and live my life. It's like those words from Godspell. Remember Stephen Schwartz musical back in the 70s? Day by day, day by day, oh dear Lord, three things I pray to see thee more clearly. Love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly, day by day. That's discipleship. That's the invitation. To see thee more clearly. Oh, I'm here all week. Love thee, <laughs> love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly. You know that, that walking close, close behind Jesus, like seeking to catch his every step. His every nuance, I want to do it all like Jesus does. You know, that's really the essential story behind Peter walking on water. You know, when Jesus is out there walking on water and Jesus comes up and does that I am statement, by the way, and says, you know, fear not, I am. He's claiming that holy name of God, the personal name of God. But why does Peter say, Lord, if it's you, call me to come out to you. Is Peter being arrogant? Is Peter like, look, let me show all the other disciples how great I can walk on water too. No, Peter wants to walk on water because his master rabbi is walking on water and he wants to do what his master does. If you're going to walk on water, then I'm going to walk on water too, Jesus. I want to follow you that nearly. You know, there's a saying from the Mishnah, it says it's a blessing over a rabbi, over a student, over a disciple. It says, may you be covered or caked in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, think of Israel, dusty roads, the rabbi walk around. You're walking so closely as he kicks up that dust that you're just caked in his dust by the end of the day because you're seeking to live like him. This is the invitation. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Ephesians chapter five says, once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We have this invitation, this invitation to walk like him. You know, it's, it's a fascinating thing as we look at following Jesus that we can so often diminish that into kind of a list of small ethics. Okay, well, I'm gonna follow Jesus now, so there's a few little things I need to do, you know, check the boxes, right? I'm following Jesus. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do. I mean, whatever your vision of that sort of diminished vision of ethics, I know a bunch of Baptists in the room just had some PTSD, but the, but the point is, it's not this small little list of ethics, it's everything, it's our entire life being reformed with his eyes. Let me see with the eyes of Jesus so I can live like Jesus in this world. So I can walk like him. See everything in light of his life. It's what C.S. Lewis means when he says in mere Christianity, I believe in Christianity like I believe that the sun is risen. Not only because I can see it, but because by it, I can see everything else. 
I see everything through the light. And this is what John means at the beginning of his gospel when he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and all things were created through him. In him was life and that life was the light of man and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. We look upon Jesus, he says, not only as I come into your life, am I gonna reveal the darkness, but I'm gonna redirect you from it. Live my life, live my life, see. And I could stop there, I could say, isn't it amazing that what Jesus is saying is that he who is the light goes and seeks out those who live in the dark, And he helps us to see, but it's even more. He gets us to shine. Not just see, but then shine. I can see, and then I shine. And so do you in Christ. Because it's never been just about you and me seeing. It's always been about the whole world seeing. Jesus lights us with his light to bear his light into the world that others who are in the dark may see like we've learned to see. It's never been about us. You know, this is one of the fascinating things that we struggle with, I think, in the contemporary church with the exclusive claims of Jesus. And we think of the exclusivity of Jesus, like he's the exclusive, the soul, light for the world. We think, oh, wow, that just feels a little exclusive and unkind. Well, here's what's unkind, to not see Jesus who he is. Here's the irony. It's a lot easier to be a liberal relativist today when you get on an airplane or go to a coffee shop or go to your workplace. Here's why. If you're a liberal relativist when it comes to things of Jesus and you say, listen, you know, that person's got their faith, I've got my faith, their truth is true for them, my truth is true for me, then you've got what we'd call an inclusive worldview, right? You're saying, well, Jesus is just one of many, very inclusive. Well, guess what? Then your Christianity becomes very exclusive because you'll never share it with anyone. You don't need to. It's just you got Jesus and the world's got something else. Here's the irony. When you actually believe in the exclusive claims of Jesus that he is the only light that will give illumination to this world, then suddenly that exclusive belief in Jesus as Savior makes your mission very inclusive. Because guess what? Everyone on this airplane needs that exclusive Savior. It includes everyone. It includes everyone in the coffee shop. It includes everyone in your home and your workplace. Do you see that? The more we actually lean into who Jesus says he is, the exclusive Savior of the world, the more it becomes inclusive for the whole world. It's for everyone. You don't get to have a day pass. It's what God intended from the very beginning. Isaiah chapter 49. He said to Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may be throughout the entire world. That my salvation may go to the ends of the earth. Or he says to us in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. And you want to stop and say, okay, hold on a second, Matthew. Uh, Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. John 8, John says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You want to say, Matthew and John, you should have got together and had a little conference before. Like, which is it? Is Jesus the light of the world or are we the light of the world? And the answer is yes. See, Jesus is the light of the world and then he reflects his light through us. We become in his name light. Bearing that light, living his life in the world, reflecting his glory to a dark 
and broken world. And as I've said before with Matthew 5, the great thing is if you're like, well, you know, I'm not really feeling it. It's okay. Jesus doesn't say you will be or you should be. You should be the light. You really should be. What a week you had. You should have been the light. No, he says you are the light. I've done the work. I've made you the light. You are what you are because I've made you that way. This is the gift of the grace of God. That because of his death and resurrection, Jesus has transformed those who formerly dwelt in darkness, who were darkness, and that have now transferred us into his kingdom of light. He has filled us with his own light, given us a new set of eyes that we can see to live fundamentally differently. Again, Ephesians 5, once you were in darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And I close with this, that the reminder is before you and I every time we come into church that God has done this word, made us light. Because I don't know about you, this is the moment in the sermon where you can say, okay, I've, I've tracked with you so far. I mean, you, you've told us the good news that God has reached into the darkness and sought us. Praise the Lord. Oh, and he makes us see by revealing our sin and by then setting us on this new redirected path. Great. But now you're talking about the missional impact. Now I, I'm called to be shining. I'm called to be light. And that's where we all can begin feeling like, well, I don't really know. Well, put it this way. I mean, how lit do you feel right now? That's not the right way to say it. Um, <laughs> let me put it in the negative. How, how dim do you feel right now? See, I don't know what kind of week you've had, but depending on, uh, you know, what, what, uh, you know, walking with people for the last, you know, 25 years of ministry, I'm pretty sure that on any given week, you may well have had a pretty dim week as far as your Christianity and missions concerned. You may feel pretty awful about your witness. Sometimes you feel pretty good about it. Be careful with that. You probably are not as good as you think you are. But, you know, a lot of times you walk in, you're going, I'm pretty dim. Maybe I have put that light under a bushel that Jesus told me not to. Well, here's the beautiful thing. If Jesus has done the work, if Jesus is the one that makes you the light, because you can't make yourself the light, you are darkness, that's your nature. If he's made you light, then you cannot snuff yourself. You cannot put yourself out. Even if you've been under a bushel, even if you've been a little di dimmed down, you're not out. What does Jesus say to us through the baptismal liturgy at the font? Whenever we have a baptismal celebration, after the water is poured on in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and we anoint the newly baptized with oil, and so you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's a next thing we do. We hand them something. What do we hand them? We hand them a candle. And I know not every one of you is baptized that way. Some of you are baptized in other traditions without candles. Don't worry, you're all Anglicans today. So you can just own the, own the candle, right, in your own mind. The candle is handed. And why do we hand the candle? We hand with these words. We hand the candle and we say, receive the light of Christ to show you have passed from darkness into light. And then the congregation responds and says, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before others they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That candle is placed into our hands because this is the gift that Jesus has given us. He's lit us on fire with his lights. And as we come in and we see the candles every Sunday, as we see the font, these are meant to be reminders. You feel dim, you're not out. I close with, you know, the line that famous composer or a pianist, Vladimir Horowitz used when he was still a not famous, still an understudy pianist. 
And a conductor asked him at the last minute one day, he said, can you play right now Tchaikovsky's first piano concerto? No small challenge, not practicing, right? And what did, what did he say? He said, yes, Horowitz said. I can because it's in my fingers. I have it in my fingers. Unpracticed, unrehearsed, but I have it in my fingers. And that's what it is for us to have the light of Christ in us. It's a gift of God that is placed in each and every one of us. Friends, it is a terrible thing to live in a dark world. It is a terrible thing to live in confusion and lostness and to be wrong about things. It's even more terrible to not know you're living in the dark. More terrible to know that you're, not to know that you're confused and lost and getting things wrong. And so Jesus comes with this word, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Whoever believes in me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, this is the good news of God in Jesus Christ. Friends, this is who we now are. So let your light so shine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.